0: I am really excited about having Paul Nunez preaching this morning uh for a number of reasons. Um one is our, our one of our passions here is to is to raise up, train, equip, encourage pastors, preachers, church planners, just leaders in the body of Christ to advance the mission. And so having other guys preach is a is a crucial part of that, and so I'm thrilled to have Paul preaching. I'm also thrilled because Paul loves Jesus Christ and he loves God's word. And he feasts on God's Word and studies God's Word and feels the truth of God's Word. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that you get to have, standing before you today, preaching a man who is, just sinks his roots into God's Word. And uh, he's a godly man. He's the real deal. His wife, Jamie, son, Sam. Anyway, I'm, I'm thrilled. Paul is uh, a campus leader for Campus Crusade for Christ at San Jose State, along with his wife, Jamie. And... Um, Let's just welcome him. Paul, come on, man!
1: <clears throat> thank you, guys. Um, thank you, Steve, for that uh, undeserved uh, introduction. Um, <laughs> well, I can throw it back at you. I uh, I'm excited to to be in front of you guys to preach to you guys, but uh, there's some other emotions as well, definitely. Uh, some fear and trembling, um, and I—I uh, I feel like this is the biggest church service we've ever had. Is that just me, or? <sighs> but the other reason is—is is Steve. You know, I—it's um, it, hard to follow you because I just admire your how much love you have, your passion, your humility, and the problem is I am in much shorter supply than you in those things. And so it just seems ridiculous for me to stand up here in your place. But uh, I believe in the mission, and I believe in the power of the Spirit, and so I want to do what I can to uh, trust the Lord to use me. And you asked me to help out, and and so I said yes. Uh, But I thought I'd actually uh, start with a little bit of a personal introduction, help you guys get to know me a little bit. I I do know a lot of you, but a lot of you I don't know. Um, I'm actually from San Jose. I was born and raised here, and I'm very proud of that, actually, for some reason. Probably too proud. Uh, And that actually, it became clear, because I was born here, but my wife was not, and so we moved back here, and so she had a different perspective on things, and she pointed out to me that the drivers here, she didn't think were very good. And I was like, no, yeah, they are, what's wrong, there's no problem. And sure enough, she pointed out that uh, people were going like 60 in the fast lane, and I'm like, ugh yeah i guess I guess not. Um, I was in denial, but um, anyways, but you know i I grew up going to church and I uh, did not have a bad experience, but just everything just seemed to kind of just go over my head. It never really sunk in and uh, I would say that I knew Jesus religiously, I knew the right answers, but I did not know Jesus personally um, that became clear, looking back, it wasn't clear at the time, when there was a woman at, who was brought up in front of the church, and they asked her, why do you want to join the church? And she was one of many, and they all gave what I thought were normal answers, but her answer was weird. Her answer was, well, first she started crying, and then she said, all she can get out was because she loved Jesus. And I was just disgusted, because I'm like, who, who would cry? Who would cry about that, and then who, who would say that? Who would say that they loved Jesus? Uh, so that was kind of where I was at, even though I'd grown up in church. And when I went to college, I went to UC Davis, and my freshman year there, um, someone sat down with me and shared the gospel, and, and uh, in that conversation, for the first time, I saw glory. And for the first time, I realized that Jesus died for my sins, and He was my Savior, and my heart was won over. It just, I realized, I'm like this, if He is God and He died for me, what am I doing not living for Him? It just seemed so obvious that that was the right decision. And so I, I gave my life to Christ, and when you see glory, everything changes. And uh, it did for me. And so I, I got involved, uh, met my wife, we got married, joined staff, and uh, eventually the Lord brought us to Santa, back to San Jose. And I do, uh, as Steve mentioned, I do love to study the Word, and I do aspire to preach the Word. Um, and that's a hard thing to say, actually. It's kind of scary um, because it's just it's a, it's something I, I love to do. But but it's kind of like, what if I don't do well at it, or or what if that's not my calling? And so I I have to. I think that's all of our of our challenge is to aspire to have to have ambition to do something for the Lord. And not knowing you know, how it's going to work out. And so that's kind of what preaching is to me. I don't know how this is, this is going to work out. And it's, you know, it's just like the Lord in my experience in, in giving talks. Is how he has been faithful to encourage me just enough to keep going. I've, given, I've had just enough success to keep going. But at the same time I've had failure. And I need that failure because I have so much self-reliance in me, it's just sick. And, um, you know, I, I remember I was, I was speaking at a conference and I just prayed, Lord, I said, Lord, I, I was feeling this, I was feeling my self-reliance, and I just said, Lord, if it's true that I, I, am, I couldn't handle the success of this and I have too much pride, just let me bomb this. Just let me bomb it. And, uh, so that I might find my identity in you. And the problem was, is he answered that prayer. (laughs) I bombed it. It was bad. It was ugly. And, uh, people were questioning their salvation. People avoided me. (laughs) And it was at a conference. I mean, it was, this was to motivate, anyways. All right. Anyways, okay, enough of that. That's a little introduction. But, uh, I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm here to, uh, Preach the word, and so that's what i'm I'm eager to do, so let me just pray and uh, actually, let me read the scriptures. can you uh, pass out the the Bibles for people who need it? so if you need a Bible, just raise your hand i i don't have a powerPoint, so it might be helpful for you to have a Bible in front of you so we're in first Thessalonians chapter two, so I think uh Let me me read the verse. We're in chapter 2. We're going to read 1 through 12. So I want to read it, and then uh, I'll pray. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. but we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own souls, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we were pro- while we, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for this letter, Lord, which just um, gives us a unique perspective into Paul's heart and ultimately into your heart, God. Lord, and we thank you that you approve of us and you have entrusted us with this gospel. And so, Lord, I just pray you would use this message to help us uh, be bold for you and to be loving. Lord, to not fall off the horse on one side or the other, Lord, but but to reflect you. Lord, help us to have... Courage to look at these text, to look at this text, realize we fall short, and just lay hold of your forgiveness and lay hold of the the promise of your Spirit. And Lord, just help me to, um, had yeah, to preach your gospel, to not be ashamed up here. And so I pray all this in your Son's name, Amen. All right, so um, the two reasons why I want to look at this verse is number one is I, I believe these verses give us a pattern or a model for how we should do mission. And uh, we talk a lot about mission in this church at Mercy Hill. We want to grow in our faith, we want to have awesome community, but there are lost people in this city. San Jose, as I understand it, is one of the most unchurched uh, city in the world, or at least in the U.S. And so a lot of people don't know what we are here celebrating. And we want to let them know, and so that's called mission. And we want to do that together. Um, but the problem, I think, is that we we just need to know we need to know how to do it. I think we need an example to follow to imitate. Paul gives us that example. And um, I think though the problem is we tend to fall off the horse on one side or the other. All right, we fall. Martin Luther kind of had a life goal. Uh, that as a Christian he would never fall off the horse and he just believed that Christians were always going too far on one extreme and we neglect um, the other extreme or the other side that God calls us to. So for just to give you an example, you know, um, a, a lot of Christians love to study the word and doctrine and theology and to preach, but they may neglect or even despise or not talk much about the kind of the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I lo- that's what I love about Mercy Hill, is that we're here trying to engage in both, that the Spirit moves in ways that we can't control, but we want to be faithful to the text, all right? And so, um, we can fall off the horse in our mission, that we could be just evangelism, evangelism, preach, 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 but we don't love. We don't get in with people, or we're all about uh, making friends, you know, and just being nice to them, but that, like I say, we're nice, but we don't have any spice, we don't we don't bring up Christ, you know. We don't talk about spiritual things. Paul says, "Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt." And so um, we we're good at being nice, but we don't have a lot of spice, as I say it. Um, and so I don't want us to fall off the horse. And so I want to look at this passage because Paul doesn't. I think he just walks the line beautifully here. So I want to unpack that for us. And but I think even more fundamentally, why I'm excited about this verse is because these. Paul's conduct and his companion's conduct I think is simply Christ's likeness That's what it is. It's not a matter of gifting. It's not a matter of him being a... This is Christ's likeness We are all called to pursue being like this. We're called to be transformed. And so I hope that this message leads us to repentance. But more importantly, or along with that, it leads us to, to the cross, to the gospel. Because We fail. And I want I want us to rejoice in, in in the cross and in the gospel and the power that that gives us to change. That's where I'm going. So let me uh, let me set this up a little bit. Uh, let me give you the context of of these verses. Um, the Thessalonians were the product of a church plant. So Paul went in there, uh, preached the gospel in the synagogues and in the marketplace, and people were converted. All right, and they 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 were excited about Jesus. Uh, the problem, though, was that Paul says in, in chapter 2, of his, verse 17, that he says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, and so what he say he was torn away. And so Paul was, o- was only there for two or three weeks, but for him, that wasn't enough time. That was too short. Paul wanted to really get in with them and establish them in their faith, um, which we see in chapter 3, that that's his longing for the Thessalonians that they'd be established. And so Paul, when he did missions, he didn't like to just preach and go. He liked to preach and stay for a long time because he wanted his example to be known. He wanted his motives to be known and he wanted to establish them. But but the Thessalonians, that didn't happen. So here you have this interesting situation where the church grew, uh, came to Christ powerfully, but Paul left them In a short amount of time. And so what we see that's interesting in this, uh, in the first two chapters, it kind of blinks neon at you a little bit. is just how Paul goes above and beyond to affirm the validity of their experience during that time with him. And so chapter one is Paul just uh, really reminding um, the Thessalonians of the the uniqueness and the power of their conversion. Just how they responded to the gospel. And so let me just read you uh, some of what he says. Verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So he's telling them, look, when you guys came to Christ, it was powerful. It was real. Paul feels the need to remind them of that. And in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God. Again, Paul is just, he himself is personally blown away and rejoices um, just absolutely in the fact that they truly turned from living for themselves to living for God that they heard his message and they said this is from God and this just blows them away but in chapter 2 he, he, he shifts he shifts from affirming their response to the gospel to reminding them of, their, of his conduct to reminding them of the way that he was this is very important to Paul we see it foreshadowed uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And I think what's going on is that Paul wants to um, just remind them of the validity of their experience. And to do that, and, and I think we just need to see this, is part of the validity of their experience involves the genuineness of himself. How do, in other words, how do you know, Thessalonians, that what happened to you was for real? Well, we, that was the way that we acted with you. Remember how we were with you. All right, so chapter 2 starts off that way. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For you yourselves know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain. And so let me just make a quick implication of that. This is, this is kind of what some of the heart of my message is that I think people will ultimately dismiss our message if we don't authenticate it with the examples of our lives. And this quote I think captures it similar, saying the same thing. It says, our motives must be understood if it is not to be dismissed as an impossible masquerade. Our motives must be understood if it's not to be dismissed as an impossible masquerade. Um, and I think our motives are only understood over time and in how we love. And so it's not enough just to preach, but we got to get in with the people that we're preaching to. It's not enough just to, to declare the gospel, we got to get in. We have to have the kind of hearts that when we are talking to someone and that we want to reach out to them, that we're not just waiting to the point where we can share a message and then, whew, got it out. But our hearts should be burning to get in with them. Our hearts should be burning to go to the next level and get to know them. Paul says, I desire to not only share the gospel, but to share our own lives as well. So chapter 2 is Paul wanting to verify and authenticate the Thessalonians' experience so that they would continue and continue in their faith. This is very important um, to to Paul that he established them. So what I want to do with the time we have left, is just look at his example. What exactly did he do? Um, Let's unpack this. And I think the first thing we see, which is very challenging, verse 2, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So what Paul's saying is, how do you know our coming to you wasn't in vain? Well, we had boldness. We were bold to declare to you the gospel, and so I, that's what I think we should shoot for: boldness in our, our in our witness, in our in our missionary effort. We should we should shoot for boldness. So my question then is: Where did Paul get this boldness? How do I get this boldness? Um. So what we see is he says, chapter or verse three four. All right, we had boldness to declare to you the Gospel of God, for or he's going to argue for it, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive so the first thing we see that I, I just kind of had to sit there and see what he's saying here is that Paul's saying we were bold because I think what he's saying is that he trusted his own motives isn't that what he's saying for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive Paul was saying. I'm not trying I knew I wasn't trying to deceive you. I wasn't doing this for impure reasons, and this and this wasn't from error. This message was true. And so this actually this actually helped me a lot because I think I can become too consumed in worrying about doing it right. And I think we should be more concerned about doing the right thing. And so what Paul so what I'm saying here is that is is, is Paul And I think we should think the same thing is that when we what he's saying is, I I wasn't trying to mess with you guys. I I was trying to help you. I wanted to do what was right. I wanted to do the best thing I could think to do. And so that just that just gave him a sense of boldness. He had confidence in what he was doing, that it was the right thing. He wasn't trying to deceive. Um, And then verse four, he goes on to say But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. And so Paul goes on to say he had boldness um, because of God's approval. In other words, he used God-pleasing to defeat people-pleasing. And so I think what we need to lay hold of and just own is that probably our main issue is in being a witness for Jesus and being on mission with Jesus, our main problem is that we're, we're people pleasers. I think it's, I sometimes think it's odd when I hear Christians seem to argue that our biggest problem as Christians is that we're too bold. You kind of you kind of hear that a lot. Um, it's like we're trying to rein each other in, which I think there's some good things in that. I think we need to learn how to be tactful. And I think there is value in um, continually growing and What's the best way to share with someone? But I don't think that's our main problem. I mean, really? My main problem is that I'm scared of what they're going to think of me. That's my main problem. And uh, I, I think it's all, all of our main problem. But Paul fights it with God-pleasing. In other words, Paul just believes in God's call on him to preach this message that God has commissioned us and says, I approve of you doing this. I am pleased with you when you attempt to bring my message to them. I gave this message for them. This displays my love. This displays my glory. It displays who I am. Go. I'm entrusting you to share it. And this went deep into Paul. This went deep. And so he wasn't afraid of man's disapproval, which he got. And so the first thing we see, the first pattern of not falling on, the first pattern of being on mission with Jesus is we just need to recapture, I think, God's call on our life to bring Jesus to people. We capture his approval of us to be bold for him to declare the gospel. Now, let me um, let me say a word about that phrase, declaring the gospel, because I think that can be difficult for us to relate to, maybe. Um, because probably a lot of us, when we hear that phrase, declare the gospel, we think of some kind of uh, bold and public street preaching you know, confrontational uh, kind of a, kind of kind of preaching, and so we we may shy away from that, or we're, we're kind of like, I we you just can't relate to declaring the gospel. And so, what I want to do, and also what I want to do, is uh, take into take into consideration the historical context. So, Paul went when he was preaching in these cities. First of all, Christianity was not known at all; no one had ever heard of it. Okay, and second of all. He preached to the synagogues, and he preached in the marketplaces where it was normal and acceptable that people would do that. Okay, back then the marketplace was a place not just to buy things, but for news to spread, for ideas to be uh, shouted out, and so Paul would just take advantage of that. In other words, Paul's methods were actually socially acceptable. His methods were not, I mean his message was not. His, his methods were socially acceptable he, what, he didn't want to and I think we should, we should pursue this, this is, is, we should not let our methods get in the way as much as we can as much as we can now what I said earlier let's, let's not over worry about that um, but it was his message that really upset people and so um, now we live in a post-Christian culture people are suspicious of televangelists They've, they've heard of Christianity, so our fight is a little different, I think, or it, I think it could look a little different. Um, and so let me read this verse to you in Colossians chapter four. Um, it says, uh, chapter four, verse two, you can turn there if you'd like. Paul says, "'Continue steadfastly in prayer, "'being watchful in it with thanksgiving. "'At the same time, pray also for us "'that God may open to us a door for the word.'" to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul wants prayer to declare Christ, and he wants to make it clear which is how he ought to speak. Then in verse 5, when he addresses the Colossians and essentially us, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so I think Paul understood that he was called to this, we're all called to declare the gospel, but for him it was a specific, for him it looked different, for him it looked like he was the one that got in front of the synagogues, he was the one that stood up in, in, the, in, the, in the marketplaces, alright, and what he wants us to do is he wants each of us to work it out, wherever we're at. Work it out. And Paul's not backing off of boldness here, because notice what he says. He says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Always. That's challenging. But I think he understands that for all of us we're in unique situations, and we need to work it out, what that looks like. And so, uh, let's, let's be bold. Um, you know, think about... You know, it it could mean asking a good question that gets beneath the surface surface about what they believe. It could mean sharing your testimony. It could mean asking to pray for them and then inviting them to church where the gospel is publicly declared. It can also mean uh, sharing the gospel as well. So let me just give you a couple examples of how I saw someone being bold to declare the gospel, but maybe in a way that was different than that kind of public street preaching way. I have a friend um, who 's actually here visiting us Ken over there, and he he loves to share his faith he, and he tells me about it, which uh, sometimes is hard to hear to be honest because he he 's always sharing with people i 'm like, "Oh my gosh, I fell under the pile um, <laughs> but he has this great i love the story where where he he's he 's at his painting store he 's a painter, and uh, it, there was another painter who he got to know a little bit, and they got to talking one day about how um, Times are tough with the economy. Work is hard, and so I guess this other guy just really went off about how he works three jobs and already works, and he 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 just you know takes it upon himself and gets the job done. And and so Ken and and Ken style, which I love, said, you know, I I trust God to provide for me. And so I mean, to me, that's that's salty. (laughs) I trust God to provide for me, and you know, and they got into a great conversation after that about the reality of heaven and hell and the hope of Jesus Christ. I think that's being gracious, seasoned with salt. And that, t- that certainly took boldness. Another good example of this is uh, Tom Hatcher. Tom and Darla have a great testimony where their neighbors just would always talk to them about what God was doing in their life. And they would always invite him to church. That, that's hard to do. I mean, I have a hard time doing it. That takes boldness. They're they're preaching the gospel not necessarily at them but they're they're preaching and they're persisting to invite them to church. I think that's great, and so I think even in, even just doing that, I mean, I have a hard time with that, and that's because I'm afraid. I just I fear man's disapproval, and I need to recapture God's approval in my life. All right, but uh, just going back to my main, my, uh, my main point is um, we don't want to fall off the horse here. Paul had boldness and that takes us all the way through chapter uh, verse 5 but then there are like seven other verses where Paul's doing something else which honestly to me is even more challenging. Paul puts me under the pile and how bold he was, but Paul puts me more under the pile and how he got in with these Thessalonians, the example he set of love that what we see, that is what was going to carry the Thessalonians into the the future of their faith, because it says that they became imitators. They became imitators, and and, and I think in, in, in uh, Hebrews mentions this. It says, um, "Consider those who who taught the word of God to you, uh, f- imitate their way of life." You know, I think the reality is, is I'll get up here, or Steve will get up here, and he'll say some things. We're probably going to forget a lot of what he says, but you know what? We're not going to forget. The way he lived. We're not going to forget that. People will not forget. But we might forget what you say. You know, I've had a lot of people I've shared with. I come back to them. Hey, did you think about what we said? And they're like, oh, I don't really remember. It's like, ugh. And that's why it takes time and it takes our example for it to sink in. We need to manifest and authenticate the gospel message by our lives. Another way of saying it is, our lives are a great hermeneutic Hermeneutic for the gospel message. In other words, the way that we understand the gospel message is through the lenses of someone's life. And this was powerfully modeled to me when I was uh, a new staff person at, um, at Cal Poly Pomona. I was young. I was arrogant and brash and it was my way or the highway. And I didn't know I was that arrogant until I, um, I got to know the, the, the director, my boss. And I noticed that he was very kind and he was very gentle and he liked to ask me questions and he liked to listen to my stories. He seemed to enjoy hearing from me and he, um, and he seemed to be patient with people when they messed up and he would laugh at it and he would just trust the Holy Spirit. And I realized that I didn't understand the Spirit, of the, for the spirit at all until I saw him. That's what kindness looks like. That's what gentleness looks like. And I honestly, what what ended up happening is I just loved Jesus more is what happened. And when I saw his life and I just realized that that is who Christ is, that Christ has freed me to live like that. Christ has forgiven me that I can own, that I'm I'm being arrogant. I'm an arrogant person. I'm a selfish person. And with Christ's forgiveness, I was able to own it and with his example, I was able to pursue it. And, um, anyway, so let, let's see this here. I, I, I got ahead of myself a little bit. But Paul says, uh, in verse four, he mentions that he, he speaks to please man, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Who tests our hearts. And so I think what Paul's saying is he's drawing attention to the fact that his, his own motives are getting involved. Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand his motives. Um, and he wants them to know that, that God, Paul's very aware that God is present as we do ministry. God is watching, right? Verse five. Nor did we have a pretext for greed. God is witness. And this, this, um, mattered to Paul, this mattered, and, and he realized that God cared what was going on inside his heart during the process, and so he wants to prove this to him, he wants to prove that he was doing this in a way that honored God, in a way that God would be pleased of, and so um, that's verse, That's why verse 5 starts with 4, so he's going to prove, he's going to prove uh, the fact that he was, spe- he was living to please God. And he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And so the first thing he, he says is we didn't have flattery, we weren't greedy, nor do we see glory from people. We didn't see glory from people. And then he contrasts that with something. He contrasts that with verse... Seven, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And so, I, let me submit to you that in light of the fact that Paul contrasts seeking glory from people with being gentle and sharing their life, that if we're not willing to share our life then probably our witnessing is glory seeking from people because if you are in it uh, with God's heart in mind with God in mind and with these people's real interest in mind you will want to get in with them that's what that but in verse 7 is we did not seek glory from people but we got in with you do you guys, do you guys see that? Do you see the contrast? Do you see how Paul wants to prove his motives? So, um, so this analogy that Paul uses is very powerful. Like a nursing mother. Anytime a man calls himself a nursing mother, something, something crazy is going on here. And, uh, I, um, this, this always challenged me, but, you know, I, When Jamie um, began nursing, this verse took on took on a whole new dimension to me because what I what I saw, you know, what he says is the 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 phrase I want to draw us our attention to is being affectionately desirous, being affectionately desirous, and so love is no love if it's hidden love. If we don't show love, it's not love at all. All right, and and Romans backs us up. Romans says, "Let love be genuine." And then it says, show brotherly affection. Outdo each other in showing honor. So Paul is saying, I loved you, but he's got to prove it. And he proves it by how he was affectionate for me. He says like a nursing mother. And so back to my analogy with Jamie is that when, when she's nursing, I am amazed at her capacity and desire to just dote on him. She just loves to be with him. She could just spend hours smiling down at him, and i I cannot compete with that. I mean, I hold him and I'm excited, and then I get a little antsy, and I want to move on. I want to go to what I was doing but Jamie, she just sits there and she just smiles at him. She likes to change him, she just likes to look at him. and so I think what Paul 's saying is that he got to he was at the point with these with these Thessalonians. Or he just wanted to be with them, he just loved laughing at their jokes, hearing their stories, sharing his life, talking, and um, and just enjoyed their company. So that's what love, I think, looks like. That's what it looks like to get in with someone. But you see, Paul didn't. It wasn't just fun games. It wasn't just easy because Paul says that he was like a father with his children, and so that draws attention to the disciplinary. Um, the disciplinary uh, element of fatherhood uh, in that, you see, he wasn't just willing to, en- to just enjoy and have fun with the Thessalonians, just be with them, but he got in with their messiness. Because these were new Christians, right? And so they probably didn't understand a lot of what it meant to, to, be, to follow Christ, and they probably did things that Paul had to say, hey, that's, that's not the way of Christ, and so he didn't get all upset, but he stayed with them. And he just he's, he was gentle with them, but he, he, he was faithful to love them and continue to uh, exhort them to Christ's likeness and to follow Christ. Um, and so Paul shows us that he wasn't just um, bold, but that he, he had love for them. He got in with them. And, and in, in that way, he was able to truly point them to Jesus in a way that would last, in a way that would stick. And I think um, I could take this further, because I think that Jesus, has, is, he's our ultimate example of this, isn't he? Isn't this the model that he gave us? I mean, he didn't just say he loved us, right? God didn't just say, I love you, like other gods of other religion. He showed it. Right, listen to this, First John 4, nine. this is what I love about the God of the Bible. In this, the love of God was made manifest among you, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. He manifested His love. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God didn't just stay from on high and tell us something. He got in with us. He lived with us. He didn't just declare the kingdom of God. He died to make it a reality. And that's our model. we got to die for people. And I submit to you that preaching the gospel alone is not enough. Anyone can preach a message. Only a Christian transformed by the gospel with the Spirit of God in them can die for somebody, can give up their own interests, can give up their own desire for attention and just be transformed to say, I just, I just want to know what's going on in your life. And a willingness to speak humbly and openly about the things in their life, um, in a balanced way and just, and just get in with people. So we cannot divorce our message from the conduct of our life. That's not how disciples are built. And that's our aim, right, in this church. We want to build disciples. We want to see people come to know the Lord. We've got to be bold. We've got to be willing to speak about Christ in some way. Work it out. Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. But we've got to get in with people. We've got to become gentle like a nursing mother and just be willing to just be with them. They've got to feel that from us. They've got to know that from us. That's what Paul, Paul wants them not just to, Paul wants them to know that they love them, that he loved them. And he's he's got to back it up. That's what all of chapter 2 is, practically. Um, so that's how disciples are built. So now I'm just going to wrap it up here. Um, because what I've just given you is a hard word, right? I've, I've called us out on our lack of boldness and our people pleasing, and probably most of us need to come to grips with the fact that we're not very loving. I mean, I do. I mean, I, I was talking about falling off the horse. When I look at this these verses, I'm like, shoot, I don't even get on the horse. <laughs> I am messed up. And that's... And so what I want us to do is, I don't want us to make the mistake of looking at this verse and, and saying, oh, I can never be like that and just moving on or... Or just wanting to skip it and not face the reality of our sin and, and our, how how false, how much how short we fall, and because the reality is 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 the Christianity, the message of the gospel is, is is this that we fall short, we are broken, there are things in our life that are so messed up and we can't go through life avoiding it. And what the gospel does is it gives us the, the power we need to face it in that Jesus died for it. And so when we face a verse like this and we realize how short we fall, we could say, praise be to God that I'm forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. And so I look at this verse and I rejoice that I have a Savior. I look at this verse and I rejoice that I That I can now look at how short I fall and even just, even make a joke about it. I mean, it's, it's serious, but there's no reason to despair anymore. We don't have to go through life living in a facade or some dream world that we are okay. There is power and there is freedom and that Christ died for us and says, you, you guys are messed up. Now we could just own it because, because Jesus says, you're messed up, but I love you. I died for you. It's, it's, and, and so the first part of being a Christian is being willing to just daily own that. And Steve actually mentioned this verse. He says, confess your sins and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, in Christ we are now invited to bring all our junk before the Lord. And so chapter 2, this just points out my junk. And so we can bring it before the Lord, but when it says it cleanses us from all unrighteousness, I I think that's actually a process. And so we confess, we confess, we confess, and the Bible says there's power in that. There's power. And God cleanses us. He begins to change us. He begins to mold us into who He wants us to be. And so what that means in the gospel, in Christ, we don't even, we don't just have the acceptance and forgiveness we need to own our sin. We have the power to pursue change. Guys, we can become like this because of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. He has promises to us. And let me read you a verse in, um, in uh, Luke. Oh, that's the wrong. If you guys want to turn to Luke. oh, Actually, don't turn there. Just, it's messing up my flow here. Let me just... Uh, Read it to you. Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? And what that's saying is, I love how Jesus just assumes what we're asking for, Is that what the what this verse does and what the Christian life is, is us continually repenting of sin and asking God for the Spirit of God to change us. And what that verse says is God is going to give it to you. I am better than I was three years ago. I am better than I was seven years ago. And I love this verse or I love this quote from Matt Chandler. He says it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. Just don't stay that way. and in Christ we have the power to not stay that way. so let's go after it. That's what I love about the gospel is I can look at a verse like this, see how far short I am and go after it. I'm free to pursue righteousness. I am free to become kind and patient and loving and in that and Paul says there is no law. that's freedom. It is freedom to be Christ-like. And thanks be to God that He died for us. And now and now we can pursue it in joy and humility, confessing our sins to one another and just living in joy and in peace and in rest. So let me pray. That's all I got for you guys. And I think uh, Dave's going to come up, maybe. I didn't work this out with you, Dave. <laughs> um, actually, how about this? Since it's already quarter after, why don't I just pray? And then uh, if you guys have prayer requests, Uh, we want you to come up and there'll be people here to pray for you. If you have questions for me, feel free to ask me. Um, uh, Otherwise, yeah, let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that, um, Lord, we have just complete acceptance in you and therefore we should have boldness to pursue becoming like you because there is no condemnation, there's no need to despair and so Lord, I pray as a church, we would be a church that repents we would be a church that admits our brokenness because you died for us. But Lord, we want to we represent you well. We want to do missions well. And we can't do it well unless we love well. Unless we have boldness and not shame. And so God, I pray that we all would seek to be transformed in this way. But God, we know that you are sovereign. God, we know that no one goes to hell because of our fault. And God, you call us into your glory into your kingdom. So we thank you, Lord, that we can rest no matter how much we mess it up, how much we fall short, Lord, that at the end of the day this is, this is, it's all under your control. And so, Lord, I just pray you would move forward in humility and boldness and power of your spirit. So I thank you and we lift all these things up to you in your son's name.